The future of business is responsible. El futuro de los negocios es reescribir el crecimiento de las empresas. Conscious commingling of growth and impact. Le futur du business est conscient et responsable. The future of business is intentional and transparent. Welcome everybody to the future of business, the podcast of the Oxford MBA, where we take you on a journey to explore the diverse sectors and stories embedded in the MBA. My name is Andreas, and today I will be hosting our conversation with Marlena Ma. And we're going to talk about her work in the art world. Hi, Marlena. How are you doing today? Good. Hi, Andreas. Thank you so much for having me. It is my absolute pleasure. Marlena and I are friends, and we also are in the same college, St. Hughes. Yes, we are. We even live in the same building. We do. It's a big, it's a big nice building. And I love walking over the gardens. And it's such a privilege to see all these students out there playing volleyball together, having dinner outside, studying under the trees. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite thing about St. Hughes? My favorite thing about St. Hughes is the people. We have a lot of people living on the same, like in the same college on site. We live together and there are 30 MBAs, so it's like the second largest MBA college. Not only that, you have a lot of chances to like interact with other students from different disciplines. I live on the same floor with eight other boys. Some of them are astrologers, um, biologists, philosophers. The kind of conversations that we have over some ad hoc dinner is like insane. Like it just opened up a lot of like things that you don't know about as well. And that's why I like about St. Hughes. And also our very beautiful gardens and our cute cats. I love that you're using the college to broaden your horizons. I only try to set up my roommates with the MBAs, <laughs> which is uh, very exciting, but not very successful. But I'll, I won't stop trying. Um, did you go to other colleges? I do go to a lot of other colleges. I do college tours. And then um, in Oxford, we do these formal dinners. Um, we don't have a lot in St. Hughes, but um, I go to other colleges a lot. There are 39 colleges, and I've been to 20 colleges for dinner. Well done. The other day somebody said, I visit a lot of colleges, but I'm not a Malina level yet. Yeah, I, I look at it as like an MBA project. It's about how you like network and hustle. Okay, my MBA project is making pancakes. <laughs> and your MBA project is That's a huge dinner. hit. Your pancake, your pancake first, is it Thursday or Friday now? Yeah, it mixes. It mixes, like it's a huge hit. Like everyone in St. Hughes love it. And we have a lot of MBAs over Thank you, thank you, thank you. Enough the compliments. Let's dive in. What is it you used to do for a living before you came here? Um, I started my career in fashion and then very quickly moved on to fine art auction. I used to work for a company called Christie's. Um, I think some of you may have heard of it. Um, it's one of the largest auction sales in the world. Um, I was there for like a little bit over five years. Um, my last role was in business development and strategy. So I work with, um, in the Asia office, work with the APEC presidents to develop the long-term business strategy for um, our business. Cool, when you, when you talk about art auctions and fine art, can mm-hmm. you give us an idea of how fine we are talking here? Are we talking mm-hmm. about something a hotel would put up in the lobby or are we talking crazy expensive? Can you give an example of the kind of art you're dealing with? I think everything that you just said, um, there are hotels with very expensive artwork. So um, that can range from, um, 
any office building, um, sometimes they would be our clients. They would buy like millions dollars worth of like paintings to like put in their buildings. Like that whole living with art sort of like environment and trend is like very presence now um, in terms of architecture. So those um, are definitely some of the clients. Um, I was on the phone once with, um, that was my first auction actually. Um, I was doing phone biddings for the handbags department. And that was one of our first auctions in Asia to sell handbags. And I was on the phone with this man clearly trying to buy an Hermes handbag for her for his wife. But because the sale goes so well, so he's like keep trying to like add on different lots, different handbags, and then he's definitely someone who's trying to buy an ex- expensive handbag for his wife. How expensive so that, are these handbags? That can range from like fifty K to like two hundred thousand euro. Crazy. And what about the paintings? What is the most expensive painting you sold? Um, the most expensive painting that I do not sell personally, but I've seen in my naked eyes was the Da Vinci paintings that um, Christie sold um, for 450 million. That is crazy. That is about 4,500 MBAs. That's about it, yeah. That's 350. 10 times our class and all paid their tuition fees. That's the expenses. <laughs> that is how much this painting went for. Um, help, me, help me understand this setting better. How do these auctions work? So I guess, you know, there's people selling art, there's people buying art, mm-hmm. um, and then instead of doing it on eBay, they engage with you. Um, can you talk a little bit about which role Christie's is playing here and the value you bring to the transaction? Um, so, like you said, there are buyers and there are sellers in the auction markets. Uh, there are also artifacts, uh, works of art, um, or luxury items. So the role that Christie's play, or like any auction house play, is at X, sort of like a broker. So um, it can be like us sourcing the paintings for auctions, or like sellers coming to us and say, hey, I have this $5 million money that I want you to sell. Find me a buyer, and then we will sort of create a sale that is an auction that can range from like a few paintings to like a few hundred paintings at a time um, and then we will offer it like print the catalogs and then offer it to our buyers and and then we will um, conduct the auction and then match like buyers and sellers so I say um, as an auction house we don't actually have products um, things that we sell or the most important to us are the client intelligence knowing where like who owns what knowing where the important clients are our client networks and relationships um, our expertise to like sort of understand the trend of art and also understand sort of what makes art expensive or um, all these things around that and also our brand um I think you touched on a couple of things that you as an auction house bring to mm-hmm. both the buyer and the seller side. Can you talk a little bit about the value proposition that you would use to distinguish your auction house from a different auction house? Mm-hmm. So if, if I'm looking to sell my very fancy Van Gogh painting that mm-hmm. I clearly own, I have an incredible <laughs> Van Gogh at home. You don't know about it yet, but my dad gave it to me for my birthday and it's worth a couple of millions. Yes. What would you point me to to understand that? Your auction house the better one. Okay. Um, it is actually a very competitive environment and we very often spend a lot of time just fighting over like properties to sell. 
Um, I would say like the last thing that I touch on brand. Um, if you have like you said a Van Gogh painting that is worth multi million, you probably wouldn't feel comfortable going to like a small auction house because a you don't think that they have the enough reach to like um, the sort of buyers who can buy up to that level, um, and then b um, you probably would go to a more like sort of reputable brand because you would trust that they will handle your paintings with a lot more care. So I would say the brand aspect is one thing that is the most like important intangible assets to an auction house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally believe that. Especially in this world where the, where the vast majority of value is anyway kind of intellectual yeah. and it's so up to curators to decide what is valuable and clearly your yeah. own brand is just like a piece of art somehow that you're curating yes. and selling um let's stick with the example of my Van Gogh famous painting. Van Gogh painting. can you talk me through the life cycle of an auction mm -hmm. can you tell me you know how who initiates it can you tell me the steps behind it and can you maybe touch a little bit on the moments where the auction house would add value mm -hmm. to the transaction until mm -hmm. it closes yeah uh, so you already have a painting that you want to sell. That is a good sign because a lot of times during the consignment period that is like that kicks off the auction life cycle. Um, a lot of times we would go to clients um, actively and say like, we know you have this painting and we think it is a good time to sell. So it's a mix of like the consignment period that is the first step is a mix of like people coming to you with a painting that they already own and they wanted to sell. And also, um, us actively going to like business getting and trying to source these like works of art for auction and then the second step once you close the consignment period um you will go into a cataloging um cataloging period cataloging stage where you'll have the catalogers the specialists look at the painting um deal with all these due diligence because you don't want to be caught like selling for example like a loot painting or like a unauthenticated painting so that process involved like a lot of work and then producing the catalog now a lot of it is online um, and then thinking about and then you go into sort of marketing your your auction yourself so there's a lot of like ads that goes out and there's a lot of like for example um, one of the things that you ask about like why you would go to like a sort of the bigger auction house is that they have the agency and they have the resources to like yeah. tour your painting around for example yeah. that's part of the sell yeah. to sell process yeah that's quite similar to the way uh, music level works yeah Continue. and then um there's the auction the actual auctions that is um a performance in itself and um and, and it's then like a it, shot it's like an hour it's not just an hour sometimes auction can be the whole day Okay, so but it's, a day. it's not like it's not like a couple of weeks or months, but it's like well, depending on what kind of auction it is, because sometimes it can be like an online sale that we spend across like two weeks, for example, and then after we find buyers, hopefully for all the things in the auction, then we go into the after sale period, um, where we had the post sale period where we handle the logistics with the buyers and also collect the payments and then pay the seller, and that closes a loop of an auction life cycle. Okay, thank you very yeah. much. What do you like about it? Um, I think the the access to all these amazing paintings is really. I feel I I was in two minds about this, but um, I went to my first um auction preview before I actually applied for my role at an auction house, and it just amazed me how 
how many like expensive or not just expensive you shouldn't put price on art but like how many important art that you can see in an auction preview Mm -hmm. compared to like going to a museum um it's really sort of like sad but also the truth that a lot of the important paintings are still privately owned so like the access to like seeing these paintings up close the da vinci paintings that i just talked to you about i saw it in front of my eyes whereas when you go to like the louvre like it would be like two meters away or five meters away from you um it's very different how you interact with art when you work in the industry um and i work I started my career in fashion and um, I really like luxury. And then when you sort of when you think about your career trajectory, you you sort of want to like move up sort of the luxury hierarchy and like so first fine art is like the epitome of like well, luxury. I guess the next case is going to be like fancy real estate. Something that's <laughs> even more expensive. That's I, I doubt that though. Some of the paintings that we saw are more expensive than a really nice house in California, for example. Okay, I'll take the house nonetheless. <laughs> I mean, it clearly is exciting that you get insights into a world that everybody kind of knows it exists, that we know it from movies and we know it from stories, but hardly any of us knows how the P&L works. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love seeing how much you can still enjoy this. Like, even as your job, I think you still get excited about these cool paintings. And, and I think you also still appreciate the artistry behind it. And I guess many people that work in the field, they kind of lose the sense of wonder for the art and only see the business. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking at you and how your eyes shine when you talk about the Da Vinci, it is still very exciting to you. Can you talk a little bit about the trends that kind of shape the auction world and mm-hmm. how the industry is developing right now? I think one of the biggest trends in the industry right now, and everyone knew about it, is blockchain. And that is not just about selling digital art that is NFT. Um, that was like the most expensive ever NFT sold, um, I think a couple of years ago, um, it was sold for 69 million, which is crazy if you benchmark it un- against like... The Da Vinci paid it for 450 million. <laughs> exactly. Or, or um, a Warhol that was sold um, last week, there's 195 million. Um, how do you sell a JPEG that is like 69 million? Uh, um, that is um, the value that um, sort of blockchain bring to the art industry and also the opportunity. And it's not just that, it's also um, about the usage of blockchain across like sort of the auction life cycle. Um, how do you track paintings? How do you use it to authenticate registry? Um, so blockchain is a huge trend right now in art. Um, and then also like different sales channel. A lot of different auction houses are like exploring different sales channel. Um, I in my last role, I sort of refound the private sales channel and at my last um, auction house. Um, and that was like a huge trend when you have a hit by a pandemic. Um, how do you engage with um, buyers and sellers? Yeah. Tr- drastically change um, online sale. Um, Sotheby's um, hiring a lot of people doing retail now, um, luxury, um, diamond watches. They're doing like a retail model. Um, and also how auction is sort of executed. Like I said, it's a production right now. A lot of people sit at home and watch live auction now. And it's like live stream across, taking bits from different sales sites. It's really exciting to watch compared to like pre-pandemic when you watch auction is more like a mandate sort of like old school um, auction that you see in a lot of movies. Now it's, it's like a lifetime show. 
And then also the diversity, I guess the last trend is the diversity of the objects that is being offered now in auction. Um, there are like artifacts that are being offered. Um, it can be like Michael Jordan sneakers. Um, it's not just about art now. Like auction houses are looking at a lot of different areas to diversify their revenue stream and offer like sort of what is in demand for their clients. That's very interesting. So I think you touched on a couple of trends here. On the one hand, you talked about how blockchain is impacting the art world, both in terms of enabling us to sell digital art, mm -hmm. but also in bringing very concrete methods to verify and sell existing art. I think that's very interesting as well. Um, and then you also mentioned about the different sites channel, how people go more retail, mm -hmm. everything is happening online, you streaming stuff. I guess it's really exciting to watch how stuff is getting sold. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people tune really in and know they can't afford it, but it's fun to be in the same room as people. Yeah. Um, I guess some people make fun bits and then you have to verify whether or not they can actually buy it. Well, we have a system where we're verifying that. Like we okay. wouldn't take your bid <laughs> if okay. we don't know you can pay for it. We protect our, our, our sellers. That's a pity. That was what I was uh, going to try. Um, and then you also mentioned the diversity of objects, how you, on the one hand, could sell a Monet painting, but you could also sell a, Jane, uh, a sneaker or an NFT. Um, what do you think makes something valuable? I mean, if I can go to the auction and I can buy a house, a painting, an NFT or a shoe, mm -hmm. you know, this, that sounds like anything can be mm -hmm. valuable. What makes it valuable? Gosh, like I... I don't have an answer to that. And when I talk to clients, um, a lot of time we get asked, like, what do you see, like, this painting's going to, like, increase in value in how many years? We always remind clients, and at least I would do, is in the end of the day, you are buying a piece of objects that you really appreciate and love, and you cannot put a price to that, the kind of joy that it brings you, the legacies that you can leave to your children, like your dad leaves you a Van Gogh painting. Um, yeah, so um, as much as like the the conversations about like art and business and art and finance or like value sort of more, it's more sort of acceptable in the society right now. Um, I still think that like what makes art valuable is whether you like it or not, is a personal preference. Um, so it's the wealth of the buyer. Yeah. Um, so just how much I can pay is at the end what makes it valuable. I mean, we say, well, that's one supply thing. and demand make the that's price. One, you know? that, that's, if yeah, I really want it and there's just one of it and I'm willing to pay it and it's valuable. But what I actually, what I quite appreciate is how much you are defending the emotional side of this. Because exactly. clearly people come in as investors, people come into get returns. I'm sure there's commercial mm -hmm. buyers and sellers that are not yeah. there for the art itself, but they try to buy up as much as art possible to increase the value, then sell it again. And you are there as a as a defender of this and being like, no, this yes. isn't, we're not here to create returns. We are here to sell things that people appreciate yes. and that people love. If you beautiful. have to look at if you have to look at the sort of number side of things, I guess there are a few things that you can look at. Um, Provenance, like is adds a lot of value to an artwork. Um, who used to own that painting? There are big collections, um, Rockefeller collections um, that we saw before did really, really well. That's because a Monet painting is a Monet painting, but if the previous owner is the Rockefeller family, it has a another level of like mystery. Um, we saw um, um, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Taylor's um, 
Cartier diamond necklace. Like I think a lot of women would buy that because she owned that. She used to wear it, um, not just because of the diamond. Of course, the diamond itself values a lot. Um, so provenance is one thing to look at, and um, like you said, trend, like projecting trends. Um, there are a lot of um, private banks and um, asset management companies. Um, JP Morgan has their own um, art financing company um, division, and um, Citibank, um, all these like Deutsche Bank as well. Like there are a lot of like uh, money managers actually advise their clients to diversify their assets and put some money into art. Yeah, I mean it makes sense. Yeah, um, it makes sense to put some money into your art, <laughs> but not all of your money. So if you're working on diversifying your portfolio right now, it probably makes sense to put less than one percent into art, but not necessarily put all the money you have and buy the beautiful Monet painting. Or even better, is it your German side coming? Out? No, that is. I take a course right now on investing in public equity. Yes, and I spend way too much time discussing how to manage my portfolio, <laughs> and it's all about diversifying it. Um, but if you really want to buy a, what I promise you, authentic Van Gogh, do let me know, and I'll, <laughs> and I'll print it and send it to you. <laughs> I mean, there's so many exciting things about this. You get to see all this beautiful art. Mm -hmm. I love hearing about all these different industries, and I always wonder, how can I get involved? Mm -hmm. How could I get a job here? Um, getting a job in auction is not as hard as everyone imagined it would be. I have this Christie's tote bag that I carry with me because I made the best tote bag. And I always got stopped by undergrads asking me how do they get into the industry because a lot of people try to get in. Um, I always tell them just send your CV. Keep sending your CV. There's a lot of opening in the art industry. Find a few companies that you want to work for. Decide for yourself whether you want to work for commercial side of the art industry or like the culture side of the art industry. And then keep sending a CV. Like I got my job, but because I sent a CV for like a companies that I put like a notification on, and that's how I got in. A lot of people think that you need connections. A lot of people think that you need to come from a rich family. It is true about all these things like in auction. But um, at the end of the day, just like keep trying and know what kind of companies you want to get into. Okay, fair, 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 fair. One last question. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite painting? My One of my favorite paintings that I saw was um, in the Ashmolean Museum in Oxford. It's a Turner painting of the Oxford High Street and it was painted in the 1800s, um, it still looked the same. When you walk down the high street, it still looked exactly the same, minus a few foot truck. And it's just always a constant reminder how lucky and privileged we are to get to live in this town and enjoy all these beautiful architectures around us. Yeah, I resonate with this. The other day I was cycling after having one or two pints um, and the sun was going down with golden light. And I, and I stopped in the street and I realized if somebody would have stopped at the same spot 300 years ago, the street would have looked the same. Turner has seen it. Turner, Turner has seen it. Tolkien has seen it. Lewis has seen it. Yeah. It's just so much has happened in the last couple of years, in the last decades, centuries, but some stuff just remained the same. Um, and that is a wonderful note to end on. So thank you very much for coming over, Molina. Thank you so much for talking with me. Thanks for taking the time. And thank you people for listening in. And I hope to have you back next week with a different episode of the Future of Business podcast. Take care, everybody.